Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Welcome along to the Online Darts Live Lounge, Monday, 8pm. Myself, Phil Bars, Jack Garwood. Boise cannot be with us this evening because he's going to a funeral at Old Trafford. Um, so just the two of us. Gob, good evening. Hello, mate. How are we? Yeah, good, mate. Good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a dart show tonight until that starts going in my favour. <laughs> <laughs> I say, it's not that we don't speak pretty much every day now, but, you know, it's what's we'll to do. We'll do the intro as it is. Yeah. Oh, um, chat room, plenty of you in already. Yeah, chat room's manic already, which is good, considering there's, um, there's some dodgy game on, everyone is still tuning in, which is an absolute pleasure. Uh, Tommy, Adrian, Bob, how are we doing? Uh, James, good evening. Kieran? Uh, Tony, thank you very much. Um, Andrew is in. Owen, Alex, uh, Nicholas, James, Daniel, Philip, how are we doing? Hope you are well. And, of course, Jim McEwen is. We've got an interview dropping with Jim tomorrow, which is very, very good. Um, I won't spoil it, but he's got a potential decision to make and he doesn't know which way he's going to go yet. Dropping tomorrow, big Jim, eh? He's going to play for England instead. Good man. <laughs> Do, do an inverse uh, Peter Wright. Well, to, to be fair, there is someone that has rep or has represented another international team that is going to the England qualifiers, which is interesting. You've probably told me this, but I have told you this, and you've just forgotten. Yeah, it's a busy man, me man. <laughs> um. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you trying to say I don't? I'm not sure you know what a full day's work was if it jumped up and slapped you in the face, Philip. Well, that's harsh. True, though. I'll, rem I'll remind you of that on the World Cup final when I'm trying to do everything for Ali Pally and you lot are all on the lash. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, man, I've got a three-day boozer. No, because it'll be watching Tyson Fury and Usyk knock each other out at the same time. What a bliss result that would be. Then we watch <laughs> England win the World Cup. Scenes. And then uh, crack on from that. And then spend another day on the As... lash anyway, because it'll be a weekend. Sundays yeah. are for vodka. <laughs> Uh, how are we doing, Stephen? Uh, Philip, cheers, mate. We've got a clip to play um, in a minute. I think I've loaded it up. Yeah, uh, Gene, real, real nice guy. Um, but, God, the World Series continues. And last week, we sort of, like, um, thought the ferret was in a little bit of trouble, didn't we? That, that aged well. Well, and James Wade, they were two finalists. The two, the two big boys that we tipped to say that they're in absolutely no form at all have gone and made the final. And, look, yes, it is a... World Series event. I'm even going to call it an exhibition event. And do you know what? Normally, we'd get in trouble for that. But when Stuart Pike's allowed to say that on commentary, I don't care. Uh, exhibition event. Um, but they both <laughs> played pretty solid up until that final. Um, one of them turned up in that final. One probably didn't, I think it's fair to say. Um, but yeah, uh, look. spoiler alert. And I know we're going to talk about each game in depth and each round in depth and whatever else. I don't think Johnny was at his best. Uh, there's still, no, I, there's I, still 10 to 1 that he can put on that average at his very, very top level. 
but he did enough to win. And I think sometimes that's just as important. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I fully agree. Before we spoil it, let me go into the averages. He's averaged 95, 91, did a James Wade against Michael Smith, 96 and 94. That's just a very steady Johnny Clayton. That's not not exceptional. He's he's, he's almost done a Wadey winning the tournament. Yeah. Against Wadey. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so there are the round one results. And before before we go in, Gob, the disappointing thing here, apart from Simon, who I don't really class as a oceanic player anyway, it's a way to shoehorn a couple of them in because they can't put them on the other side. The locals didn't fare particularly well this time around. Mm. No, but I think part of that's the way the draw went. And part of that, I think perhaps Gigi overperformed last time out in comparison to these top eight. Let's not forget, these top eight are eight of the best players in the world. So anytime you get a result against them is absolutely decent. Some weeks you might get three or four if you catch them on an off day. That first one, I think a lot of the players said that, well, Michael Van Gogh went on to win the tournament, said he was suffering with jet lag still. So I dread to think how badly the rest of them that we didn't get a chance to speak to might have been feeling, especially on day two by the time you put the darts back up again. Um, I think a couple of these just enjoyed the experience. A couple of them perhaps just aren't quite at that level yet to compete with these with these eight. Yeah, no, look, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, we are, we'll go down. Are we doing game order or draw bracket order? Which one have you got up? Whatever you've got in front of us. Well, we're doing game order then. So Joe Cullen opened up the show. And, and again, like we said, Joe, not at his best, um, but just kind of did enough um, to, to, to get by in this one against... Uh, Dave Marland, um, 6-3 early on. Dave, there was a couple of mini opportunities, but Cullen, not really in any danger. No, look, it was pretty much a repeat of the week before. Marlon pinched a couple more legs. Joe Cullen wasn't quite the ridiculous average that he put in last week. But I don't think he was ever in trouble against Dave Marlon. I think you could play this game 10 times over, and, and Joe wins pretty comfortably at least eight, if not nine of those times. I just think there's extra levels and extra gears to this game. And, and Dave up on that stage with, with less experience, perhaps even less ability than Joe Cullen, just, just didn't have enough to land any haymakers on him. Yeah, no, completely with you. Uh, then James Wade beat Gigi. Um, look, Wade was just Wade. Gigi was well off the boil here. Only averaged 79. Um, he pinched a couple of those legs as well. If it had been 6-1, that probably, probably would have been a... A fair result, but but James got better as the, the tournament went on, apart from the final, but he looked more himself this week, Gob, I think, which is the important thing. Yeah, I mean, the issue normally with James when he's struggling is he's up on that front foot a little bit on those toes, but um, he's not been doing that, and he's just been struggling for that range. He found a little bit more consistency. I felt like he hit more 180s this week. His grouping was slightly better. There were still moments where he did have slightly wild first starts or whatever. Um, but he just looked like a little bit more comfortable and he absolutely loves his tops and tens, doesn't he? And, and they dig him out of trouble an awful lot of time. Yeah. And roles reversed. It was revenge for the ferret Johnny Clayton against Hope by Puhau. 
Ferret missed an absolute truckload of doubles last week, which killed him. This time around, he didn't. Um, and the score, 6-1. And again, the Ferret, not really in any danger. Hope I couldn't produce the same kind of performance as last week. And, and the Ferret was comfortable. Yeah, he was. A yeah, Johnny missed a lot of doubles last week. Some of that was the pressure of what Harpai was doing. He was playing really, really well. He was up around the mid-90s. Finished pretty well, and every time Johnny handed him a chance, he seemed to take it out, and that allowed the pressure to build up on Johnny, who has been struggling for results of late. We know that. We discussed it at the end of last week, and, and that performance won't have helped, but this seemed to settle him just that little bit more um, solid mid-90s average with 46% on the doubles. That would get you decent results in, in most tournaments at this level. Yeah. Um, then the interesting one, Fallon Sharrock. A 6-5 winner. Her first win down under in the Australian leg of the World Series. And we saw the good and the bad of Fallon Sherrick. Started slow, produced her better stuff in the middle of the game, and then held her nerve in a final leg decided. So she really gained confidence from that. She did. And Malcolm it felt a little bit like Dimitri in the World Series against Fallon previously. He looked so comfortable for so long. Then he missed a handful of doubles and it just seemed to get to him. He crumbled out of nowhere. His average dropped massively as if the realisation of winning on TV against Fallon was about to happen for him. And he just could not hold his nerve to get over the line. He did miss match darts at one point. Um, and again, that, that could be the pressure of playing Fallon. She, she brings this presence and this aura up on that stage because of the reputation she's now got, because of the players she's beaten up there, because of the fact that she's in these World Series events, etc. That That's tough for players to, to get past. Yeah, no, completely agree. Uh, a demolition job from Gerwin Price that there's not much to talk about. This was absolutely one-way traffic. 6-0, nearly 105 average. And at this point, Gezi's looking Rolls-Royce again. Yeah, I've seen Kohar play a fair few times. I was at the World Championships when he made his debut. Um, I met him through Kyle previously. Um, and I've seen some of his stuff on the DPA. And even if he played his very, very best game, he's not beating Gerwin Price. He's averaging 104. Not over that consistency on TV, over that length. That was just ridiculous from Gezi. That was world number one, world champion form. Yeah, completely agree. Um, Michael Smith and Damon Hetter served up a treat. Look, this was a nightmare for, for both of them. Um, Damon Hetter is having issues winning last leg deciders at the moment. Don't get me wrong. Smithy played very well in that. But regardless, Gov, if your opponent keeps beating you in a last leg decider, you're going to start overthinking, aren't you? Regardless of whether your opponent is doing special things, as soon as it goes to a last leg decider, a bit like MVG back in the day, he didn't always play well, but because it was a last leg decider, the opponents overthink it. Potentially. If it starts seeping into his game against players that are around the same level as him and below. Whilst Damon is still on the ascension, you're going to expect setbacks against players in the top 10 players in the world. And, and Gerwin Price and Michael Smith in back-to-back -back weeks in absolute belters who produce ridiculous last leg deciders against you as well. Let's be honest. Gezi was, what, seven perfect last week? Yeah. In that final leg. And, and Michael Smith does something ridiculous in this one as well. Um, 11 data for him. 
there's not a lot he can really do about that, apart from put the game to bed a little bit earlier. But you're getting chances against these big boys. It's going to go eventually for him. And look, we've seen in the past players ascend up the rankings far too quickly without a base. That just means in two years' time, he's got an awful lot of pressure to retain those points. I think him and Danny Nopper are giving themselves brilliant platforms to ensure that they can be top 16 players and stay there without having to force one or two big results a season at major tournaments. Yeah, oh, I completely agree with that one. That accumulatively, just putting money in your rankings is better than one big burst. We've seen Jamie Lewis in particular go and do remarkable things at, at, at the world. Devon is another one this year that has done the same. Did it all in a short space of time, and he's now struggling to defend that. So completely with you. Uh, the upsetting brackets, but look, Simon Whitlock's now five unbeaten on TV against Michael Van Gogh. Look. MVG's averaged 101 and a half, lost in their last leg decider, missed a match start. He hasn't done a lot wrong, but the Wizard just found something when it mattered. He didn't. There was, there's just a steeliness about Whitlock. I think he looked a little bit more unsettled this week than he did last week. Obviously, he had his mum there last week and he got quite emotional about that one. But I think that the fact that New South Wales is his home territory, perhaps this one meant just that little bit more to him. He played well last week. Um, so we've probably been hoping to go a bit deeper. Horrible draw for him once again. Great result against Michael. He does seem to just have that knack over him at the minute. And as long as that continues, keep going. Because there aren't many that have got positive records against Michael Van Gerwen. Oh, wow. Not that Simon does at the minute. What are you all wowing at? Man United have scored. There's an inquest between Milner and Van Dijk are literally having a right go at each other here. In front of the camera. <laughs> um, just to cheer you up, Bob. Um, yeah, brilliant. But going back to Whitlock, it's all well and good doing it. He seems to produce against your MVGs, your your prices and, and that on your rights and plays well. Spoiler alert, he loses next round with an 84. Has he got to get himself up for these... Lesser games in brackets. He's finding a way to motivate himself against the very best. But is he just lacking a little bit of killer instinct against games he thinks he should win instead of games where he has to dig deep? Not necessarily. I think it's a bit more of a case of top-level performance. Definitely seems to be back and he's won a few tournaments. But in terms of ridiculous level consistency that we saw from him three, four years ago. He's still not back at that level. Back at A level, he's back winning tournaments. He's back being dangerous. He's back winning games and beating some of the best players in the world and being in contention for that conversation at times. But I'm not sure what more he could have done here. He averaged 101 is 41% on the doubles, granted. Simon's produced a decent performance, decent final leg. As said, Mark was missed the match start. I don't think there's too much wrong with that for Michael. He won the week before and he's been beaten in front of a no, home no, crowd. All about Simon doing producing it. Um, um he's doing it against the elite, but then when he plays Joe, that, that same intensity didn't seem to be there. I don't know. And then I don't to know finish off, yeah, it's just interesting. Uh, and then Dimitri Vandenberg, um, 
gets the job done against Raymond um, O'Donnell again. Not too much issues there. So that was that was round one. We're trying not to dwell too long on the individual games, the key talking points. Moving on to day two. This is the only graphic that, that we had, unfortunately, but we'll we'll roll with it. Um, first up, Dimitri Vandenberg got absolutely battered by James Wade. Dimitri well off the pace. James very much on it. Job. Yeah, back mid 90s, 66% on the doubles. He just didn't give Dimitri, well, say he didn't give Dimitri any opportunities. He's not from 10 on the doubles. So he's had chances, he's just not taken them. I don't think the crowd particularly got involved in this one. I just think it's an off day for Dimitri. Yeah, just didn't look settled at all. Um, and then Gerwin Price doing world number one things that he whitewashes Fallon Sher at 6 0. However, the way he played, it had whitewashed a lot of people 6 0. Gob, he's averaged all bar 110 and missed a few doubles, I think, in leg three. Yeah, I said in the previous round that it doesn't matter what level Kohar produced. I don't think he was beating that 104 average from uh, Gezi in the previous round. I don't think Fallon's beating this, no matter what she produces either. That was some performance from Gezi near record break. And I think it was the third highest in Australia ever in the World Series in the end. Um, yeah, I But it was very, very highest. nearly massively the record. He missed a couple of darts here and there. Um, he, he his highest televised average as well. We said it last week. There are signs that Gerwin Price is almost back to that optimum gear that saw him lift the world title. He's not a million miles away from that right now. Um, then, spoiler alert, we've already said it. Uh, Joe Cullen did a job on Simon Whitlock again. Wasn't a particularly good game, but Joe just did the right things when it mattered. Um, and then, this, this is... um. This is James Wade-esque from Johnny Clayton. He beats uh, Michael Smith 6-4. Eight points difference in the averages, not in Johnny's favour. And he finds a 1-3-6 to win it to stop a deciding leg gob. Um, Ferret doing the machine. Not quite, because Wade would never, ever finish on double eight. It's just not what he does. <laughs> uh, but the rest of it, yeah. Uh, lower average, <laughs> solid performance. Uh, steady on the doubles. Um, job done for Johnny. Like I said at the start, he wasn't at his absolute brilliant best for the weekend, but he got results and he got jobs done, and that was what was needed. Yeah, moving on to the semi-finals. Again, this is an upset. Um, and again, it, it, it's a James Wade performance. Uh, James Wade uh, does a demolition job on Gerwin Price, 7-3. His average is lower. Um, Gezi had a few half chances, but James Wade, this was almost a, a vintage James Wade performance. If you're categorising what Wade does in semi-finals, this would probably be it. First leg was absolutely massive in this one. The, the 140 checkout where Gezi sat on a finish to break nice and early, absolutely massive. And it did swing back and forward a little bit. You still thought he was offering up chances here and there. Um, but he was just clinical. 7 of 16 on the doubles once again for James, 43%. That's what he does. That's what he's more like. And I think as long as that part of his game comes back, I'm not so worried. He's always had issues with the score. He's never been the biggest scorer. Not not he's out, always had issues. But, he's never been the biggest scorer in, in, in world darts. And there have been times when his scoring hits a purple patch. That time in the phase in the Premier League earlier this year, 
was definitely one of those. He seemed to be hitting a lot more 180s. He seemed to just be a little bit more comfortable in the scoring phase of legs. But as long as he's finishing his back, James Wade can be anybody from anywhere who produces any performance. It's just what he does. I'm fully, fully in agreement with you. Fully in agreement. Uh, and then the second one, Johnny Clayton batters Joe Cullen. And when you look at the stats, there's not much between them. But when you look at the scoreline, it's an avalanche. Yeah, this is one of them that just continued to get away from Joe the longer it went on, didn't it? Johnny's yeah. missed 13 darts at double. Um, Cullen's one from seven. I'm not sure if he hits any more any earlier. It massively changes the scoreline too much. Um, just a little bit one-way traffic. Joe seemed reluctant. I think there was... Did they go off at the break with Joe being restricted to number of darts at a double at that point? Um, Something like that, just stalled a little bit from Joe Cullen. This is the performance that he used to produce a couple of years ago, perhaps in the earlier rounds that made us worry that Joe might never really kick on as a player. Um, he seems to have produced less of these recently, but this one snuck back in against a good friend as well, actually. That must have been hard for both of them. Yeah, definitely. And then the final, spoiler alert, the ferret wins his first title of 2022 and again there wasn't much danger in this one it was an 8-1 avalanche and it, and again james said it in his post match just didn't get anywhere near the ferret he um he battered him 100% james just didn't get going three games in one day for someone that's been struggling with form a little bit um would have been nice to see the scoreline a little bit closer i think the fans deserved a little bit of tension, perhaps. A lot of these latter stage games seem to go that little bit wider in terms of how close the results were. Uh, solid job from Johnny. Wasn't really pushed at all and just carried on doing what he was doing. That 160 was magic as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and look, it's it's good to see the ferret back in the winner's circle. Four TV titles last year. Um, and he openly admitted he struggled being the hunted instead of the hunter, um, but he has got the job done. And we are going to hear from Gianni Boy. We've got a little clip. Remember, the full interview is over on our YouTube channel. So afterwards, go and check it out. We've got lots of clips to play you because um, there, there's stories developing all over the place. This is Johnny. Yeah, do you know what, Phil? I, I went back on stage and I was thinking, I've never won anything with my family there. And to win that tonight... Fantastic. What a feeling. You know, it's massive. It's genuine massive. Yeah, hopefully, you know, listen, Berlin is gone. You've got to forget about it. It hurt at the time, obviously, but again, I was beaten by the better player. But hopefully tonight, it's going to kickstart my season on that big thing in December. I'm looking for that. So that trophy, hopefully, is going to be mine. <laughs> oh. I know Cobb doesn't like it when players start talking about tournaments that are, that are on the horizon and, are, and a million miles away, but they're already dropping Alexandra Palace references, Gob. Why? <laughs> He's got three to defend before then. <laughs> Muswell Hill is already calling. Silly boy. 
Go and win a few more before then. Build yourself a platform. Get yourself back to a level. Because honestly, if he gets past Michael Smith last year, he possibly goes on to be world champion. He was playing that well last year. It took a very, very good Michael Smith performance to deny him. And actually, there's a very, very good chance that Anything can happen in sport, you know, very what happens after on. But if he gets out a little bit further ahead against Peter Wright, there isn't anybody in the world that could have lived with Peter Wright in the last 10 legs that he produced in that world final. But does he get the opportunity to do it against Johnny Clayton? Possibly not. Who knows? To be fair, in Johnny's favour, he's not the only one that's already talking about Alexandra Palace. Gezi has referenced it. Michael has referenced it. There's a lot of them already thinking about the world's. I sort of get that with the top three because it's so critical to be in world number one as well. And the fact that they've all been world champion in the last couple of years, they want it back sort of thing. They want to start dropping the seeds and, and mind games in front of players. There's no Peter on the circuit at the minute. He's still recovering. He'll be back for the slam, I think. Or was it the Grand Prix next? Grand Prix. Uh, well, we don't know. Um, yeah, we, we, we're not sure. But there's still four or five majors between now and the World Championships. And if you want to be World Champion, fine. But go there in good form. Because if you start thinking about the World Championships now, you either switch off for the rest of these, start getting beat and then go in in bad form. Or you exert too much effort now because you're already thinking about it. And by the time you get to the World, you've played yourself into form and straight back out of form again. Possibly. But I think Johnny's just one of those ones that just goes up there and doesn't dwell on stuff too much. Four months away, Phil. <laughs> um, so that was that. Watch his football team get knocked out of the World Cup first. <laughs> um, right. Do you want the lady clip or the Fallon clip first? Surprise me. We'll do Wadey first. So this is this is James. This is talking. After his round one game, it's a, it's a good listen. You know, I was I, I spoke to someone before I came out here and before the World Series invites was was made, and um, I was asked what my position was and what I would do, and I said, I'm, you know, unfortunately, dance is my job, well, not unfortunately, but dance is my job, and um, that 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 comes first, and you know, there's a reason why we, we prosper at times, and there's a reason why we we do lovely things and see the rest of the world. It's because we make sacrifice, and for this World Series, I, I've made the ultimate sacrifice, and I've, um, you know, I, I said I would sacrifice, you know, everything to, to be here and to be part of it, and um, I think that was acknowledged, and I think that, um, you know, I think I had a part part of me to be invited to the tournament, but you know, it's it's part of darts, and um, darts isn't a normal game, and it's not a normal job. You have to sacrifice, and I've sacrificed for twenty years, and you know, and it is what it is. Obviously, touching on there, the, the fact that his um, second son was only born was it three or four days, but before he flew out, um, that that's obviously yeah. The, I think the sacrifice. If the child the hadn't been born, I think we might have seen a, a bit of a late withdrawal. To be honest, you, you want to be there for that, but once you know that mum and baby are both okay. I think it just becomes that little bit easier to move away. Look, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to try and pretend to know how any of them feel, but it definitely can't be easy to miss those first few days of, of, of your child's life like that. It is a big sacrifice, especially as he's not chasing ranking money, which is which is something that 
is a little bit different. I think for a man that's already spoken about retirement in the last couple of weeks as well, it is a little bit surprising. If it was ranking money, keep yourself in a good position for the Worlds or he's struggling a little bit, then I'd, I'd understand that. But it's a bit of a, a mixed decision for me, that one. I completely understand that he's out there sacrificing. I think that it's very easy to forget the perspective of those that aren't based in the UK. As someone that spent time with Kyle Anderson to the extent that I did, seeing it from the other side when your family are constantly the other side of the world, not three and a bit weeks, it, it's incredibly difficult. So it has to balance out fairly on everybody. It can't just be a, a UK tour, etc. It, it is a big sacrifice this early on in this child's life, but you've got to respect him for that, for, for putting food on the table and, and whatever else and providing for that family. Oh, yeah, no, look, absolutely, 100%. And look, I'm sure that him and Sammy made that decision t together and went through the pros and, and the cons and decided it as a family. Um, it was best. So, look, full respect to him. James, was, he was actually in a really, really chatty, chatty good mood on Zoom. It was, it was nice to see him like that because when you are away from your family, especially when you know there's stuff going on at home that you can't influence, that, that's got to be tough. Where the others have obviously left their family, but they can still FaceTime and everything like that. Where you've just had a, literally a newborn, that that's right up there. Yeah, definitely. And I think look, these aren't the most... These are quite busy trips, right? It's, it's, it's easy to keep your mind occupied while you're out there by the looks of it. We've seen Johnny... Joe Cullen and Michael Smith go fishing. We've seen them play basketball and all sorts. Plenty of media opportunities. So what it looks like is the downtime isn't too much to just be sat there thinking, why am I here? Why am I not back there with my family? Obviously, then you have darts and you've got travel days, which are probably that little bit difficult. And I know in the past, Sammy and, and family have travelled with James to um, Australia. Yeah. So that, that must be different for him this time. But this eight seemed to just get on really well as well. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be pairs that pop up. Nobody seems to be an absolute loner. I think at times we bemoan the fact that darts doesn't really have any rivalries or big bust-ups or anything. But actually, for, for things like this, when they're travelling to do an exhibition tour, as, as the World Series is, probably works out pretty nicely for the players. To be fair, Rose also makes a good point as well. Maybe he's worried that he doesn't get invited again like Lewis. <laughs> Potentially, that, that definitely may have played a part in it if they want the future experience. But especially if these events become ranked. Yes. Um, and then this was another one. Well, this, this was Fallon again talking after round number one. If I were to say no, that I haven't been feeling the expectation, I'd be lying because I'm not being funny. I just feel like the whole world's on my shoulders at the moment. And I just, I think my game at the moment, I just need to try and relax. But I'm just happy I've got the win tonight because hopefully, you know, whoever I play next, I will give a good performance and relax. <laughs> That's the main thing. Try not to read it. <laughs> try not to read it on social. But it's easier said than done. I mean, you do hear it and, you know, you do see the news articles and stuff like that. You can't ignore it, but you do try your best to try and not read it as much as you can. Stay off social media. First time that, that we've heard from Fallon since 
Copenhagen. Um, interesting that she that she's spoken there, and that she no, has felt the expectation. Oh yeah, I mean talking about the World Series because the match play yeah, yeah. we didn't really talk about it. Is that the match play was about the match play? Um, but interesting that especially down in Australia, she has felt that expectation on her shoulders. I think we, we've seen her feel it on the whole. Um, Copenhagen against Dimi and that comeback and that all the way to the to the semi-final, etc., was was brilliant from her. Didn't really get going in New York and struggled a little bit to find her feet in this year's World Series. And obviously, this is the full tour that she's got. This is the one that she got put in for her performances and, and her marketability from that World Championship performance. So, look, it would have been a lot easier if this had come a lot earlier after that event. And the press and whatever that's followed her since then, all the reporting on Q School, the fact that certain outlets have acted like she's the only female dart player that's ever lived or played at this level, um, certainly won't have helped her. So, look, it's obvious she was going to feel pressure at some point. I think she's got a decent team around her. She always seemed to come across quite level-headed when she speaks in interviews. She's just going to keep taking the opportunities if she gets them, which you're not going to begrudge her that at all. Um, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think she was struggling to keep pace with these guys. And, and that's the issue when you go from being one of the top women players where you've got a target on your back to dropping into seven of the best players on the planet. And there is still a gap between what Fallon regularly produces and what they regularly produce. Her top game, like she can live with it. We've seen that before. That final against Michael Van Gerwen was absolutely ridiculous. But does she produce that as often as Joe Cullen, Johnny Clayton, etc.? Probably not. Oh, yeah, no, look, 100% agree with you there. Um, com completely agree that also as well, I think that she hasn't played enough competitive darts this year either. For me, yeah. going into... Copenhagen and the Grand Slam last year. Don't want to blow smoke up our own arse. But she was playing regularly in the live league then as well. She she was she was battle ready and, and battle hardened. And look, I completely understand that no doubt she earns a lot of money playing in exhibitions. I, I, I fully understand that, but you have to take it while it's there because that may not always be there. But maybe after Australia, I just think she needs to go back and and get herself battle-hardened. She'll have the opportunity, though, won't she? She's got more women's series. Yeah. They've got another match play to look forward to next year. She's got a spot in the Grand Slam, which just allows you to settle that little bit more into a tournament. Look, short format, under pressure in the first game. You lose that, you're under pressure. But you also know you've got three attempts to go up there and show people what you can do. The short format is more like, what she's used to playing in week in, week out when she does get a chance on the women's series or, or whatever else. And she could just build for the rest of the year now as well. I think it was a little bit of a, a slow start. We had all the um, fanfare of the World Championship decisions this year to play the hokey-cokey with the WF and whatever else. And, and that kind of helped Eva. Um, but I think she, she looks like she's in a better place. She's coming across like she's in a much better place right now. Um, and it's a big back end of the year for Fallon. And spoiler alert, you will see her in the live league again soon. Woo 
Um, but again, look, last year she was dangerous in that. Let's not forget she was making finals and she was what eight games yeah. unbeaten at one point. She, she yeah, yeah, yeah. Got oh, ridiculous she was... ceiling level if yeah. she just gets the chance to play consistently, and we haven't really seen that so far this year, have we? No, and and, and that goes back to what I was saying: Can playing consistently, competitively, is, is, has been the issue. But look, she will get it right, no doubt at all. We've got some more clips, but we'll come on to them in a minute because they're probably more in a week of darts than right now. Um, so we'll get rid of that one. Um, also, over the weekend, we saw the return of the development tour. Before, before we go on, I'll just answer Bob's question. Um, no, she is in New Zealand. She will miss the upcoming women's series in Hildesheim. So, from there, the Dev Tour action was underway. There are many, many talking points which we will come on to collectively at the end. Um, but first up, Development Tour 16 Gob, and it was Boy Wonder who stole the show. Josh Rock in absolutely electric form. From the last 16, he's averaged 99, 92, nearly 103, 112. Yeah. It's just too good for this level. It simply is. It, I saw Matt Edgar's video earlier, and he was looking and comparing, and, and should they be, should tour card holders be allowed to play? And look, Josh is a very, very special example at the minute because of the level that he's playing at right now, but the average of the top five tour card holders on the development tour is 16 points higher than the tournament average. And Josh Rock is much, much higher than that as well at the moment. Um, a ridiculous performance to beat Bielecki and then Dowling without dropping a leg, 102 and 112 in the back end of the, the tournament as the format goes up as well. Um, it's just phenomenal. It, it, it's a level ridiculously high. It's a ceiling that is better than a lot of the one two eight right now. Um, and look, look performance-wise, deserves a win 100%. The way that he's played on the Dev Tour this year, been nothing short of exceptional. To have the lead in the order of merit that he does right now, considering he missed, what, seven of the first ten events? Something like that. Is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And look, 112... We were literally praising Gezi about a phenomenal performance of 109 on TV. Yes, this isn't on TV, whatever. And it's a leg less. But that's just staggering. Yeah, completely. Well, it doesn't stop there for Rocky. I promise this is, a, I promise this is another slide. Um, but Josh Rock does the double on the Friday development tour 17. And again... He averages 104 in this final to batter Nathan Gervin into submission gob. Um, look, he is a special talent. We'll, we'll come on to the wider bits um, in, in a minute. But a double on day one, you don't get any better than that. No, you don't. He's had another at least three ton plus averages on this day. Yeah, just the three. Worst of an 87, everything else well over the 90 as well. And again, look, it's just a, a solid, solid performance. Pushed a little bit deeper 
in the semi-final by Daniel Perry, who seems to have a really good weekend. And I'll be honest, he's not a name I've, I've ever come across before. Um, but he seems to be going deep in, in pretty much every day. Um, and a solid performance against Nathan Gervin in the final. To go back-to-back, not dropping a leg in either final, is, again, just ridiculous. It's a level that... We've seen special players on the development tour before. We've seen the likes of Dimitri Vandenberg, Luke Humphreys, Ted Evitz absolutely dominate this scene. But even then, when they're winning games and, and what have you, I don't think they were doing it in this fashion, in the finals, as dominant as Josh Rock was on that opening day. I, I genuinely think you could look back through Dev Tours gone by for the last 15 years, if you really want. You will not find a better double day than what you've seen from Josh Rock. Well, no, I'll tell you, it was the quarter-final result that really sticks out for me as well, where he's beat Sebastian Bilowetsky 5-4. Bilowetsky's averaged 94 and a bit, and, and Josh Rock has just found the answers in, in this when it matters. Yeah, he beat in the in the event before as well. Just just staggering level of consistency. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, so moving on to day two... Josh Rock got to another final, but he was beaten by the young Dutchman, Jean Van Veen, which we will hear from um, later on. Again, this, this doesn't come as a surprise that Jean has come through the field and, and got to a final and put in that performance to, to beat Josh. We've seen him on the live league. We've seen him on the challenge tour um, as, as well, that he's come through and done some, some special things. Um, and look, although it's great that Josh has got to another final, that result gives the rest of the field a little bit of hope when they've seen him lose. It does. Josh doesn't go on to win another event for the rest of the weekend. But again, this is still an incredibly competitive field, by the way. Josh Rock is just a special, special player when he gets it right. Um, but it's a, a solid performance from Gianna a player that, look, until four or five weeks ago, I didn't know an awful lot about. But he's come over, played in the live league, played very well in the live league. Um ceiling level seems to be ridiculous as well. Um, struggles a little bit for consistency, perhaps compared to, to some of the others, but he's still very, very young, perhaps doesn't have the experience of, of some of these guys. And that's what the development tour is for at that point. Um, but it's a very, very good win to do that in the final against Josh. He'd already won back-to-back events the day before. The mountain pressure that everyone else would have been under, seeing that Josh just continues to, to dominate at that point is, is three previous results. Yitza van der Waal, who's won two events this year, I think. 4-0, 5-1 against Keen Barry and 5-2 against Adam Gaulas, who's a former World Youth finalist. If you see those three results before you play him in a final, I'd be a little bit worried about what he's about to do to me. Yeah. Um, I look, com- completely agree. Uh, Tony, it's £2,000 um, for the winner. Um, so, again, the second result on the Saturday, we have a Welsh winner. And this time it is Louis Williams, who beats Kevin Dutes in the um, final. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about this more when we do, when we talk about the development tour in general, because it's more this result that I have an issue with in terms of what potential, or the, the, it's more Louis, because of what he can achieve in his situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, well, there's only one more event to talk about, and I'm pretty sure I know what you're hinting at. It's another good performance. He's come through some tough players. Daniel Perry, again, is one of those. Um, beat Jonas Aplosky. 
beat Kevin Dutes in the final as well. Let's have a look who else he beat on the way. Uh, Keenan Norris. Owen Maiden is a very, very good win, 4-0 as well. So it does open up a little bit. He doesn't seem to play any of the top 10 until he plays Dutes in the final, but you still got to go out and, and win those. 5-4, tough battle in final four. Louis Williams, but it's another win on the board that keeps him nicely placed in the order of merit. He's up to fifth after that. Yeah, it, it, exactly. We'll, we'll come on to that more in a minute. But the last one as well, it wouldn't be a development tour if Nathan Rafferty didn't get his name on the roll of honour somewhere as well. And he beats Kevin Dutes in that final. Um, again, a man we've seen do very, very well on the development tour goal. Yeah, look, Rafferty's another whose A game is ridiculous. An awful lot of these players' A games is absolutely ridiculous. And part of them being on the development tour is the opportunity to develop their B game and just produce that little bit more consistency. I say this to a lot of people when they first start talking about how good are you at darts or or how do I get better at darts, whatever. There isn't a single target on a board that you can't hit. It's just how frequently and how consistency... You hit it when you're aiming for it that sets you apart from being Gerwin Price or sets you apart from being Nathan Richards at Q School averaging 56. Right? That's the only real difference in this sport. And I think that's why everyone gets the dream and fascination that within three years, I could go and be a professional data player. If I put the time and effort in and something just clicks and you produce that level, That that's what keeps us coming back to this sport. And that's why we get so many decent stories. But yeah, Nathan's A game is fantastic. We've seen that at times as a pro tour, at Q school, etc. Um, B game needs some work, but again, another good result. Another final for Kevin Dutes. Um, another deep run for Louis Williams. Um, a, a solid day all around. Get you get your result done the last day. Everyone wants to fly home, get out of there. And uh, picks up two grand for his troubles on the last day. So the order of merit as it stands. Josh Rock is top. Nathan Rafferty, second. Keen Barry, third. Gerton Enches, four. Louis Williams, five. The top five, all dominated by tour card holders. Now, the issue is pretty the same. It's, it's, and by the way, this is nothing to do with any player because it's not their fault. The, the system allows them to, to do this. It, it's the systems that are the issue here, not the players. So, Louis Williams, let's be brutally honest, is in a right scrap to keep his tour card. On the main order tour card race, he sits 63rd. So, he is clinging on for dear life for his tour card, as it stands. That win on the development tour order of merit puts him right in the mix. Look, Josh Rock is going to get a world championship spot from the Pro Tour Order of Merit. Let, let, let's let's be frank about that. Oh, so this is when they Pro Tour is ridiculous. Yeah. So this this is when stuff then starts rolling down, and with a lot of action, we've still got more Dev Tours to go. So if Louis, in particular, can get himself second or third on that order of merit. Potentially, he's going to go to the World Championships through the Dev Tour order of merit, put minimum 10 grand on his ranking and keeps his tour card that way. 
that doesn't sit right. No. And again, this and is that's... Look, we have this we have this conversation an awful lot about the way that the PDC have established their tour and, and, and ranking systems. And when they just add things on to the pro tour system that first existed, you're gonna get backdoor entries. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Philip says, or he could regain his tour card by the development tour. Yeah, exactly. And these opportunities, like, again, I'm going to use someone that's a tour card holder that's down there as well, that Scott Mitchell doesn't have these opportunities to get to the World Championships or keep his card. If he loses it, well, I'm going to it doesn't get to the World, he has to go back to Q. Matt Edgar's video do it. summed it up pretty well earlier. If you are over the age of 25, male, dark player, you have 30 Pro Tours and 13 Euro Tours a year to try and keep your tour card. Plus your TV qualifiers for everything else. If you are under the age of, if you are between 16 and 23, then you have the development tour as well. If you are between 16, 23, female and have a tour card, you suddenly have 24 women's series, 20 development tours, plus all the pro tour stuff. And if you're a European home nation player, you have that opportunity as well. You suddenly have, a ridiculous number more events to qualify. And look, the prize money for those events standalone is much smaller. But the end goal point is that when you reach the World Championships, which is effectively what everything is gearing towards, which is a significant part of people's ranking money as well, that for more opportunities to get there through perhaps easier routes than what... 25 plus tour card holders from the UK experience, you then keep the same amount of prize money just for getting there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and this is the issue. A massive, massive advantage. Oh, completely. It's like ridiculously huge is, yeah. is the thing. Um, and as well, what, what you were touching on, the development tour is also there. This is this is going away from the rankings now because obviously you've, you've summed it up really well there that there are loopholes that need to be closed. Yeah. And, and, end of. Look, I've got no problem with players from other tours getting to the World Championship. But again, just my opinion... That if you get to the world, the world championship, championship. yeah, if, if 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 you get to the world championship through another tour, that money should not be able to go on your ranking, like they did with Duzza in his first year in the PDC when he had one of the BDO Grand Slam spots. He was told, "Yes, you can take the BDO place." But that money does not go on your ranking. Yeah. And I, I think it should be the same for, for the other tours. By all means, they can take their world championship spot, go and have their, their moment at Alexandra Palace. They've, they've, they've won it fair and square through that other tour. But that collective 
money from the World Championship should then not go on your overall order of merit. I agree. Or, like, the suggestion Matt made on his video was, like the European Tour, if you win your first-round game, then you can keep it. But just for getting there, just for qualifying for the World Championship, is 10 grand. That's gone up. That's 12 and a half, isn't it? 12 and a half, I think, or whatever, yeah. That's a lot of money for a backdoor entry. Um, when you think that what what normally keeps a tour card about 50, 60 grand? At, at the moment, this year, between 55 and 60 will keep you safe, I think. Just looking at it at the moment. That's at least 15% of your ranking in one hit. To keep a tour card, yeah. When you're not a tour card holder or whatever else, so yeah. I mean, it gets even worse yeah. if you consider that if you're top of the challenge tour and get to play all pro tours, associate member qualifiers for the Euro tours, challenge tours, pro tour, uh, challenge tours, dev tours. Crikey! As as an example, if Lorena Rietbergen was number one on the challenge tour. She could play nearly a hundred events in the PDC this year before any TV events are even picked up. Yeah. Pros get 43. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing I want to pick up on with you, ask what you said there. And who is it says in there? Uh, Alex says, "What is the what is the goal of the development tour? Because if you have a tour card, aren't you developed?" This is my issue as well. That it, at the moment it's being dominated by the pro tour players. And when you said God, when you look at the averages that the pro tour players are so much higher than everyone else. So much. On, on I'm not talking one or two No. The five events this weekend had an average, had a tournament average around 70, 71. Those five, if you go yeah. to the back of Dark Connect, in particular, are averaging around 85, 86. They're about 15, 16 points ahead of the field average. All right. Now, not everybody's throwing the tour average. You're going to get players a lot lower than that, and you're going to get players that are, are higher than that, and are going to give you a run for your money on whatever. But that's a Big gap. Yeah. Oh, it's cute. And this, this is the joy of Dark Connect, man, because we can see all this. This this information is all there. The, the, this can't be hidden. It, it's there. It, it's all there in black and white that we can see the numbers. And I think, look, we, we have this debate an awful lot and I, I get the debate and the conversation that players that perhaps are 16, 17 just want to go there and improve and are happy playing some of these players as one-off and whatever. But when they're dominating the money lists the way that they are and when they're producing like mid-90s averages against you in the first round, you're not learning anything in that situation. You are not learning anything in that situation. I refuse to believe that you are. To, to get better, you need to play people who are slightly better than you on a consistent basis. 
you still need to learn to win and you, you perhaps need to play players yeah. the, the opposite way and just ensure that you're still beating performances that are lower than you. But you need to be playing consistent performance. If you're averaging 64, I'd tell you to go and find somebody that averages between 68 and 72 and play them a few times and get up to their level. Not 16 points. Yeah. That's that's a visit and a half per leg minimum. But that gap. Exactly that, which goes back to the point that these players have gone and won their tour card, whether it was finishing top of the development tour order of merit, challenge tour order of merit, or going through Q school. They have one of those hallowed one, two, eight cards. is the, the thing. So they're going up against the very best in the world week in, week out. And then you go and play Teddy Smith, who's rocking up at 16 on his first development tour. Yeah. And get I think it is, look, in the past, perhaps you can say that at that age, the players need more opportunities to play more darts. But when you've got so many different progression routes below that now things like the jdc youth county whatever else the development tour isn't the first exposure that an awful lot of these players are getting to competitive darts they've been in that environment before they don't need it if if you go to q school and you get a tour card whether you mean to or not which i still don't buy that argument you don't accidentally get a tour card if you're at q school and you win a day you're good enough to win a day and therefore you're good enough to be on the pro tour that, that's what that system says whether or not you agree with it and you can have a good day and, and whatever else it's more difficult nowadays that Aaron, Aaron Beanie was the high profile ex- example in the old system perhaps um, I just the more and more we see this I, I don't begrudge any of the players for taking the opportunity if you've got the chance to go and win What's Josh Rocker? 11, 12 grand this year already on the development tour? Oh, 100%. It's not the players' fault. If he has a bad, 11 grand on the development tour, if he has a bad back end of the year on the pro tour, he's pretty much got a spot in the World Championships. He'll be in the World Youth Championships, which I've got no objection with under-23s playing in, by the way. That is a skill-based competition based on your age limit. That is under 23s. Who's the best player under that age in the world? You see that in in multiple other sports. Absolutely no objection with that whatsoever. But development tour is is just different. And for me, it should be serving a different purpose than putting money in the pockets of players that are good enough to be on the tour. Um, Philip makes a good point. He said, would you schedule the development tours the same weekend as the pro tour? So players have to make a choice. don't think they can afford it especially as the pro tours seem to be edging more towards midweeks in the coming time and the fact that you still have to work largely around schools let's not forget look the more and more they're creeping fridays onto these development tours and if they're going to keep traveling to germany or or wherever else For a job, you can choose to take your holiday or, or whatever else, depending on what you do for a career. That's your decision. School is mandatory. You have to be there. 
And unless you get special written permission to leave from your school, which oh, I'm going to compete in this, brilliant. How well do you normally do representing us? Blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, I'm ranked 156th in the world and I've won one game in five attempts because everybody that's there is a professional. It's a little bit of a difficult conversation to get that off. As well, I'm not sure. Have the PDC got enough set up as well, i.e. boards, iPads, to set up two arenas at the same time? Don't know. No, that's what I mean. I don't know either. Nothing. Yeah, well, yeah, that comes part of it. But I'm guessing, like, I've been to a dev tour for a long time. Is it still loser marks on the dev? Yeah. That's not so bad, but, yeah. but chat room, let us know what 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 would you do? Do you think tour card holders should be allowed to play in the dev tour? Um, um, if so, give us your your reasons and everything. Um. Philip, was one of the, without looking, I've no, was one of them in Europe, one of them in the UK? Because I know Europe, Europe have got their own setup as well. So, so long term, God, what, what, if you could make the changes, obviously you're not, you're not Baza, but if you could make the changes, what would you do going forward for this issue with the Dev Tour? Tour card holder, you're good enough. You're not allowed to play development tour. Look, that already exists if you become a top 32 player in the world. But I just think that the level that tour card holders are playing at, especially first years as well, if you get a first year tour card, you're not going to reach that top 32 unless you do something really, really special. And that is ridiculously difficult to go and do. And it's also incredibly unlikely. So you effectively get a year of double chances no matter what you do. And then everything after that, potentially you start eking your way off of it. And then you still get allowed to rock up for the world youth and just get a buy into it anyway. So, first of all, if you've got a tour card, no development tour. You're developed. Yeah. Um, I like the, the conversation about backdoor entries elsewhere not counting towards overall order of merit if you're an international qualifier um, it would free up more spaces at Q school most likely in the long run as well or it would put more pressure on the rest of your season which is absolutely the way to do it the fact that players have got multiple opportunities to eke through probably means that sometimes they don't play as intense as they possibly could um, that's a good point I also yeah the difficulty is because there's only so many weekends that the development tour has, again, because of scheduling around schools and holidays and whatever else, the fact they try and cram so many events into a weekend, challenge tour and dev tour are battles of stamina sometimes. Challenge tour in particular, they are absolute slogs. They should be one a day events. And I appreciate that's difficult to do because then you have to have more weekends and you have to commit to more travel time, more hotel time and whatever. But that's about addressing the balance in the prize money. It has to be. You just need to sit down and have a look at the overall structure. You can't just keep making 
subtle little changes to correct things that stick out on this tour because it just creates more trouble elsewhere. And at that point, the PDC are just like, well, it works for what they want it to do. It's not the biggest issue to them if somebody keeps a tour card one way or the other because it's only one out of 128 or two out of 128 or whatever. But at some point, I just think there needs to be that decision that, okay, we need to build this so it's as fair as possible, level playing field. And if you're in this position, then this is what you do. Yeah, some really, really good stuff um, in the chat room coming about this. A lot of most of you agreeing they shouldn't be if they're in, if you're one of the 128, you shouldn't be allowed. Um, I completely agree with the challenge tour as well. But look, as I think Matt said in an interview that we did with him, the challenge tour is meant to replicate the pro tour. And simply right now, it, it, it doesn't. And I'm sure his wording was it's not about an ability test, it's about a stamina test the challenge tour mm-hmm. which shouldn't be the case um uh, jamie says feel sorry for these youngsters who don't have a tour card uh playing tour card i was averaging 100 um but yeah so you can't it's like it's not the not the players fault uh at all but obviously because they're doing so well we we highlight and we take the mick out of Josh Rock. Is he developed? Is he developed? And, and everything like that. Because he is just a phenomenal talent. And he's the one highlighting it at the top end. And look, we've seen Louis Williams play brilliantly on Euro Tours. And he's highlighting it at the bottom end. Where he could end up keeping his tour card through the development tour. Yeah. Um, an, an interesting one from from James as well. Development tour should be 21 or 22. I've always thought the age is too high for the development tour as well. I can see it creeping down, but again, at that, at some point you have to give enough notice of that change because players are going to miss out at short notice. Yeah. And the conversation always be, well, the year above me got the chance to do that. It's incredibly difficult to lower age brackets. Um, I, I completely understand where the conversation is coming from. Again, though, at the same time, when the PDC are trying to market and push for sponsorship opportunities and show off how brilliant they are, as that's what they do as a business, not really interested in, in sport. We've seen that before. Um, the level that these guys produce on a development tour means that they can sell sponsors and whatever a better product. Or oh, this is what we're doing. This is how much news you're going to get. If we don't have these tour card holders, are we reporting that somebody's averaged 112 in the final? Probably not. Does that grab as many headlines? Probably not. But, again, I 100% agree with you. But as the development tour in brackets, isn't it better to develop away from the limelight and just go under the radar and develop instead of being thrust in? Like you say, the PDC are a promotions company. They're, they're not interested in yeah. getting for people. Unfortunately, they are interested in headlines, clicks, revenue, and sponsorship. Um, does boxer, does the top player from the JDC qualify for the development tour? Um, there's no qualifying criteria for the development tour, is there? God, you, you just pay your money and enter if you're between the right ages. 
Correct. Um, James says, if you are genuinely going to make it in the PDC, like Cullen Smith, Keegan Brown, Rock Evitts, you have to have made the Pro Tour by 22. Um, I don't know. You think there's, there's been a lot of late blossomers. Roby John's edging towards 30. I know he's been up there before, perhaps. Um, trying to think of examples. Jim, Jim makes a good point. Get rid of the development tour. Make it a proper youth tour. Maximum age of 18. Again, I sort of understand, but when you're losing five years' worth of players... That's a lot of revenue because there is still entry fees at that level to then justify then, putting those events on. But then you funnel those into the Challenge Tour. Which is already too big because Challenge Tour, again, is turn up to Q School and then pray. Yeah, that, that's where the Challenge Tour needs to I think the fact that the Challenge Tour doesn't serve its purpose properly... Please be offside. The challenge tour doesn't suit its purpose. That the, the the dev tour fills in for that. Gold stands. Brilliant. <laughs> um, look, it, it, it's an interesting debate that will we'll run and run. If I'm being honest. I don't see it changing anytime soon. And I think this is a debate that will rumble on and on. Um, but we are going to hear from one of the development tour winners. Again, a man that speaks very, very well and has a clear plan. The, the letter, because um, I'm going in my final year of school now, which is my priority for the next year. Yeah. So I will go to Q school, and my goal, of course, is to, to get the car. But if it doesn't happen this year, then maybe next year, and it's not really my priority this year. Top 32 in five years. That is my, like, five-year goal. Um, but, yeah, just at least be on the Pro Tour and be on the Tour for the whole... Just... Don't have to stress about losing your tour card, that's for sure. Interesting from um, Jean again. Speaks speaks really, really well. Um, interesting that he says education is his goal at the moment. Finishing his schooling. Very similar to Nico Kurtz with loads of ability. But darts was always secondary to him because it was finish his education first goal. I like that because we've seen players at the opposite way not really do that and start to struggle. One that stands out that, that's gone similar, Jared Cole has, has gone out and got himself a he's, he's a chef now at a, a decent level. He's got a decent career in that. If darts ever doesn't work out, there are a lot of players. Like how many players are on that development tour? Hundred. There was two, five, six rounds at least this weekend plus all the Challenge Tour players, not everybody can be a professional dart player. And yes, it's good to give it a go for as long as possible, as long as you want. 
and whatever. But if at some point it doesn't work out, you cannot suddenly just go, right, now I've got to find myself a career. It's much easier to learn things. It's much easier to give yourself that base and that experience whilst you're younger, um, whilst you're still under your parents' house or, or roof or, or whatever else, um, and, and go from there. Um, Philip says, how can you play as many events as Jean if darts is secondary for you? Um, if, look, it's amazing that how he does it and how he juggles it. Um, I'm sure some of our Dutch friends in the chat room can, can fill us in. I'm not sure. Is the Dutch education set up the same as it is over here where you've got secondary school and you go to college and everything like that? I, I don't know if it's set up the same. Because if it's the same as over here, God, once you're at college, you've got a little bit of freedom that you can wiggle around to get to events, can't you? If you're over here. No comment. <laughs> I went to uni for four years and don't have a degree. What do you think I was doing? <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I'm not sure if it's the same in, in Holland or not. Um, but if, if it is, then college it's easier to, to, to juggle your schooling um some really really good things in the chat room um jim says you're going to lose players from the development tour anyway keep wasting their money when they're getting ripped apart from the pros i kind of agree with that as well you're going to lose players somewhere but i think as long as the pdc are a business and as long as each stage of them are making money for them they're going to keep providing them they're going to keep putting them under their own banner look what the jdc do is fantastic and there is a connection there to the pdc but the pdc aren't taking it over they're going to remain a, a standalone but you wouldn't want to give the jdc more of your younger players yeah yeah uh mike says he reckons jim's going to get his tour card or if he does jim's got he's got a decision to make don't you jim sorry um Um, yes, Mike, it is, it is actually Jim, 100%, because I was speaking to him earlier. Um, Thank you. Hello. <laughs> so, you know, you know, because I've said that, he knows what I'm talking about. We're going to laugh in the face. The interview will drop tomorrow as well, by the way. Right, now we're going to hear from, from Maverick Murph, as he's renamed himself after his stint in the live league. I think he may be half expected um, that it might take a while for him to get back to his best. I mean, maybe we didn't see him at his best at the match play, he won it, but we didn't see him at his best. But what I would say is it's probably the first tournament, or maybe even the Premier League could count as that, um, because he'd announced that he was going to have the operation before that. And it's probably the first few months that he's played in a decade without real pressure, because by announcing the operation, yeah. by announcing the injury, he'd taken a lot of pressure off himself. Um, and rather than being the man with the target on his back, it's like suddenly people are questioning him, people think he's the underdog. And maybe that played into his hands as well. I don't know, but um, you know, it might have been a, a Van Gogh in under no pressure. Um, but I also think... Um, you know, people are still questioning him and I also think you've got to look at it now I mean he's just won a World Series event as well 
I think I have to say that right now Van Gogh back to being the best player in the world he's won the Premier League he's won the match play he's won a World Series event he's won more titles than any other player this year I think he's, he's up there as the best in the world again and he's still got another 10-20% to add on players uh, are probably going to have to do that a little bit more players that have the luxury of doing it probably should do it while they can and preserve it because there might be a time when they need to go to everything and they've got a little bit more energy in the tank but I think some of the other ones are more like lifestyle things as well and it's about how you live life on the road um, it's difficult you know all of us who you know, even those who don't play darts who are on the road a lot it's really difficult to live a healthy um, lifestyle um, but it's becoming more and more important I think um, otherwise you'll find yourself not having a choice about which events you miss because you're going to miss them through injury or illness, etc. Really good interview. After we're finished, go and check it out on our YouTube channel. Murph talks about loads of different bits. We'll, we'll take the first one. Are, are you agreeing, Gob? Is MVG back to being the best player in the world right now? Um... Potentially. Look, I think the, the argument of who the best player in the world has not been standout for about 12 to 18 months. There have been mini periods of dominance, mini purple patches from a number of players in the last few months. We, we've spoken about Michael Smith, Michael Van Gerwen, Gerwin Price, Johnny Clayton, Peter Wright, even James Wade at a point during the Premier League campaign. I keep going, going back to that. So as long as there's so many in conversation for it, I'm not sure yes or no. When we're not used to having a player, a lack of a player dominate for an extended period of time. Um, I still worry that his B game is a little bit lower than some of the others. I still think if he doesn't get going and going, Price doesn't get going, that going, Price will beat him. I still think that if Peter Wright rocks up with a dodgy set of darts and keeps tinkering a bit, I still feel like Peter's B game will have enough to beat Michael. Look, whether that's the same after he comes back from his recovery is, is a completely different matter. But I still feel like that B game isn't quite there to be considered the best in the world. I get that. Um, but I think it's getting I, better. I actually... It's definitely getting better. But when you were talking earlier about that loss to Simon Whitlock, I don't think he was at his best last week at all. Yeah, he picked up a title and, and that says something about him, but I don't think he was at his best at all last week. No, I, I think he is currently the best. I'm not saying I don't agree with the B game because I do, but I don't think you can win the two majors that he has and not be classed as the best right now when none of the others have won them. Yeah. Um, also, we were talking about, obviously, injuries and players that, that aren't well. Murph makes a very good point that there is going to have to be some lifestyle changes from players going forward. We've seen a lot of scares this year, a lot of health scares all around Gob, and more and more people are now talking about this. There is, and there's always been that attention on this part of the sport. It's, it's been kept out of um, 
the public eye, as you like, darts definitely went through a period of becoming more attractive to sponsors, hiding the fact that players drink or, or smoke or whatever else, cleaning up its act, if you like. And that's still gone on. You absolutely cannot deny that at all. I don't think any of the players would deny it either. They, they talk about it a little bit, probably more than what the PDC or whatever would like. They like to keep it hush-hush, but it, it even seeps down to the development tour level. Sometimes pre-match in that environment is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I completely agree that whilst some players have made efforts to be healthier with their lifestyle, less takeaways, be fitter, go running, etc. Just try and keep themselves in better shape. There is still an awful lot of the tour that are dependent on alcohol to produce results. And as long as that continues, the busier the tour gets, the worse for these players it's going to get. Yeah. Um, if you're a 16 player, you're playing darts nearly 200 days a year. If you're six to eight pints deep every single day to play darts, that's a lot of units of alcohol. A hundred percent. Everyone knows my opinion on on booze in the game. That it won't change until something severe happens, but it's not a good look. Um, this is off the cuff here because this is just something that. I just posted in our WhatsApp group, Gob. So we're going to bring it up. The front page of tomorrow's Racing Post is a huge blow for the Epsom Derby as Kazoo end their sponsorship. And then digging in and in and around off of that, we've got Kazoo lost. 243 million in the first half of 2022, more than double its H1 losses last year. The share price is also that low, it's at risk of being delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. Should darts be a little bit worried right now? Potentially. Obviously, those numbers, bottom line, are scary, especially when they put so much sponsorship and money into effectively three quarters of the, the PDC darts majors, absolutely minimum. Uh, very, very similar with a the snooker. They have tight links with, with matchroom for both. However, the other companies that the guy that set up Kazoo, I believe, have operated this market in way in the last couple of years anyway. They're heavily subsidized to open and they can cover these losses as far as I'm aware. But they run at this with advertising so disruptive and so everywhere that you hope to run everybody else out of business. You want to be the number one big name in it. They, they, they don't have a cost to be that disruptive, especially when someone like Cinch has gone and done exactly the same. It's, it's almost hunting for a monopoly or an oligopoly, right? You just want to be the top boys left at the end and these high startup costs blow everybody else out of the water. It's like supermarkets expanding to express stores or, or locals or whatever else. Um, these costs are inevitable, and they will not immediately turn profits. It's when they're sustained that these become an issue. So back-to-back -back years of a loss, 
especially doubling and going further, means they are doubling down on that. And at some point, they will have to either justify to continue to put money into that, or it will have to start turning a profit. But I think they've got at least another year at this level. As far as I know, all the PDC deals are signed one year. I'm not sure they're multi-year as yet. I thought they were multi-year, especially the Worlds. Well, if they put that money in already, as long as PDC have got that money in escrow, it's not an issue. It's if yeah. those, well, that you... money isn't provided until the date of the event. If you see these numbers as the PDC and you say, right, cough up, put the money safe somewhere so that we're protected, otherwise there's a chance that this deal doesn't go ahead and we have to find someone else new, that's a little bit different. It's also, let's be honest, as good as the move appeared to be from the public image that gambling companies were no longer the main source of revenue for sponsorship deals for the PDC. That was a happy accident. Because who come and in and paid nearly four times what, the, what William Hill paid for the World Championships? Well, I, I, I think a couple of the other events were chucked in for that, right? The bookmakers still have money and the bookmakers, as, as a minimum target for the PDC and whatever, they still have healthy relationships are still talking about being principal betting partners for events and, and whatever else. And at that point, if they short term have to go and put their name all over the event for an extra 10 million, they'll probably put their name all over the event for an extra 10 million at short notice because they have done it in the past. It's been a very successful partnership for both. It's one of the sports that you're still allowed to do it to that extent. Things like football, they're sort of hidden a little bit or, or alcohol in that regard. Um, so it's still a possibility. Look, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but at the same time, they still exist. Oh, yeah. And people that were jumping all over it were saying, oh, this is great. To people genuine, I think that if the bookmakers, well, I, I won't give the guy's name, but we were speaking to the PR guys quite well connected at William Hill at the World. And we knew then it was going to go to Kazoo because I messaged you boys, didn't I? That the conversation that was had when, because William Hill wanted to renew, the, the conversation was had that because they were offering this, if you match it, you can keep it. So it wasn't a case of they deliberately wanted to go away from their sponsorship. No. It was taking the biggest offer. It, it wasn't Somebody a case put of a ridiculous bill on there to blow them out of the water. And if it had been matched, it would have stayed where it was. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, but yeah, that, that's just something that, that came up um, whilst we were there. We're going to jump back into the chat room. Um, Philip says, um, you're right, God. I can still remember Dimitri's interview about the yeah the, the Dimmy special interview. Oh, wow. I still remember that like it was yesterday. Silly boy. <laughs> Welcome to the DRA club. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, Bob, 100% going back to the thing. Michael Smith chats openly about this. During the COVID lockdown, he lost a ridiculous amount of, of weight and looked great for it. But when you're on the when you go back to the, the lifestyle, it is almost impossible to live well just because of the nature of it, unfortunately. Um, so that was that one. Uh, a week in darts, Daryl Pilgrim picked up the live league title. He will go to champions 
um, week, very, very good week last week on the live league. I know he's in the chat room. Jim McEwen setting new records um, as well. Played some fabulous stuff um, as well. Uh, what else have we missed in a week of darts, Gob? Nothing backwards, forwards. Uh, we have the women's series this weekend. The big news, well, a couple of, of points of interest this weekend. One, we are in Germany and it is going ahead, which therefore means there is at least 64 entries, which is a positive sign for the women's series. It the first time it has left the UK in the past. They've struggled to get the numbers. Um, secondly, Fallon will be in New Zealand. So at this point, she's giving up ground on others in the hunt for next year's women's match play. And the third talking point around the women's series is as far as I know, Bo Greaves will make her debut. couple of bits off of that. First of all, with the numbers, I'm guessing right now, is it very heavily weighted towards European entries? Do we know? Believe so. Believe so. Not sure if I can say because then it tells who I've got the source from, but um, the number I was quoted at was 70% of that field will be European. That's interesting. That, I don't think we've ever seen it that just needs to translate in opposite directions. Yeah. Oh, completely. Look, for, for darts in continental, for women's darts in continental Europe, the fact that the entries are that high from the Europeans is, is fabulous. So, that again, that is a really, really good sign. Um, fantastic that Bo is going to go and give it a go. Really looking forward to that because, look, harshly, there's probably a lot of pressure on Bo now heading into this event because of how talked up it's been um, and the fact she is reigning world champion and it's taken this many events or this late into the year to be able to go and do that for her. Um, other priorities, other events and whatever have got in the way before that. So look, it's good that she's making that trip now and it'll be interesting to see how results go for her look we've spoken about ability and, and top level game and genuinely if she turns up this weekend there's no reason why she can't go on and, and win one if not multiple events she, she's that good on her a game it's just can she do it consistently in that new environment that does take players a little bit of time to get used to yeah no look absolutely look it's a it's a good thing for women's starts that the field is going to be competitive because there was a worry that it wasn't going to go ahead at one point. So fabulous that it is. Yeah. Um, and then other things to look forward to. We head to New Zealand. Slightly different lineup for this one. I haven't got all eight in front of me, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Ben Rob play. He's probably the standout um, new name coming into this. Um, also, at the end of this week, we will see who picks up the Kyle Anderson Memorial Award, which I'm really looking forward to. I think it's been a little bit of a shame, the draws that Damon Hatter has received, playing Gerwin Price and Michael Smith in the first round, 6-5 in both of those. 
knowing how close they were, the fact they went to school together and whatever. Um, a couple of years ago for Carl's birthday, I got some video messages arranged and Damon was one of them. And I didn't know he was at that point. Um, his partner Tara saw it out. And the, what, there was all sorts of family in there. His, his, his uh, nan family they hadn't seen for a while. And the one that got him was Damon. The one that, that actually got Kyle emotional was, was Damon because he hadn't seen or spoke to him for a long, long time. So I know how close that those two had been in the past. Um, and it would be quite a fitting point if Damon could produce something this weekend that will um, go to Damon. I think that would be a really, really nice ending to that um, as a trophy. So I'm looking forward to that this weekend. And then you're away this weekend as well, aren't you? Yes, because you're covering the ladies series for us. Because yes, um, before we before we move on, Philip says, "Will the Anderson Trophy be handed out for performance or or by results?" I don't know. Uh, I believe it was performance based. I don't know who's judging that, but I believe it was performance based, not results based. Fair enough. Um, yeah, going back to your thing, yes, you're doing the Women's Series streams this weekend. I will be in Cardiff for the Red Dragon Champions of Champions event. We will be bringing you as many updates and, and live stuff as we physically can from there um, as well. So busy, busy times. I fully agree with you. Looking forward to seeing Ben Rob play again. I was impressed with him at the World Cup. Yes. Just hope he gets a well I say nice draw. There is no nice draw. Uh, let's be fair, you, you want there, there's two that you want to avoid. That, but Joe Collins has been ridiculously good in the opening round the last two times. Michael Smith's been solid. Johnny Clayton's back on the up. Wade's gone deep. They are, but there's also a game, there's also a mid 80s average for those players as well. I'm not saying it'll happen, but you know, there is one in the locker. Uh, Bob, I'm guessing like. Everything else, the draw will be. We will get it Thursday dinner time, I reckon. Yeah, uh, it might be a bit earlier because they're a couple of hours further ahead, aren't they? Maybe about ten a.m. on Thursday. Um, right, we will open it up. It is question time, so everyone, get your questions in. We'll do a good 20, 25 minutes of question time before they all come in gob i don't i think that's pretty much everything now isn't it i believe so we've done well not killed you yet <laughs> um tournament starts at 8 a.m uk yes yeah it does bob um but they normally they do the draw with the sponsors the day before well, they certainly have for the two in Australia. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that start time. 
might have to take you some scheduling function. Scheduling. Yeah. Schedule it. Um. So yeah, then after that. Uh, cheers, James. Yeah, look, we, we always try our best to, to to get everything out there, which is which is good. Look, I coming up. It generally goes to silly season. I was booking hotels up the other day. It's going to be nuts the back end of the year. Absolutely, going to be right here for all of it. <laughs> Bonkers. Apart from maybe yeah. a trip to Reading. You best be there, Jim. <laughs> um, Philip says a German pundit has called last week's World Series event one of the most boring darts tournaments ever. Do you agree? Um, I didn't think I didn't think it was that bad. If I was being honest. Um, it wasn't. One of the worst. It was really for me. It was, it was great to see four thousand fans in a venue in Australia. I think that was a huge plus point. Um, I think we saw a scattering of good games. Uh, no, for me, I wouldn't have said it was the most boring. Look, the World Series it, it is what it is, but I wouldn't say it was the most boring tournament I've ever seen. There were there were plenty of talking points and from it. Um, World Series. How highly do you rate it? I'll let you go first, Scott. <laughs> I don't. Look, it does produce some good moments. Kyle Anderson winning that. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased for that. Damon Hatter as well. Um, the final in Dubai a few years ago was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but it needs to serve a higher purpose now. The the grow the game excuse, I just do not believe. Oh, Liverpool just um, yeah, Fernandez is being a twat. Um, the, the grow the game, it, I just don't believe it anymore. And especially when it's the same players recycling over and over again. I genuinely think these players are known enough in these territories as it is. We haven't really expanded that. We still go to Australia and look, it, it produces some good darts and some good performances and some great stories. But, and I appreciate that because it's so far away, the fact they play three events justifies it that little bit more with the travelling costs and expenditure and everything else. But... I'm not sure it's really growing the game over there anymore. The DPA do a fantastic job. They've produced some ridiculous players in the last couple of years. And I think they will continue to do so over the next couple of years as well. And yes, this is an opportunity for them to test themselves against the top guys before the World Championships in a, in a more friendly environment to them. Um, but is it essential? Probably not. New York... CDC again. Darts America seems to be picking up, not quite as quickly as perhaps you'd hope, but again, the travelling in that country is just ridiculous because it is so big. Um, I think 
the ploy of MSG for the last couple of years is basically just showing off a little bit, get a few more headlines and, and clicks. Um, I don't know. I just think the amount of time you go out there for the fact it's non-ranking, for the fact that we're constantly debating who gets picked in the eight players and, and whatever else, I'm just not sure what it serves anymore. It takes up an awful lot of time on the calendar. We then have a qualifier where any man and his dog can qualify for a finals event that has absolutely no relevance to anything they've played in all year. Um, other than that, it's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, um, but no, look, Tommy, it, it's near the bottom of the scale of tournaments. But I like the I like the World Series, but I think it does need a spruce up somehow. I think the best thing about the World Series so far this year has been Dan Dawson on commentary. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. Um, I tweeted about it over the weekend. It's definitely time for him to get a slot on either Sky or ITV. We saw it with the World Cup earlier in the year and he got that chance to work in that Sky team a little bit. Um, and perhaps the biggest compliment you can pay a commentator or, or a pundit or what have you is not what they do when they've got the mic in their hand or, or, or pause. It's it's the games where Dan wasn't on commentary this weekend that it was noticed even more. I For me. fully agree that I, that I think both punditry teams needs a shape up. Um, yeah. I think Webby and Mardle are superb. I think Mace is brilliant. But the others, for me, are up for discussion right now. I think look, some people have been in the game a long time. They got a little bit comfortable perhaps a little bit lazy in their, in their prep. Sometimes you can hear when they're not quite as ready for the expanding players. The game's got a lot bigger, a lot deeper now. You cannot just get by with your knowledge of the top 16 players from the last Sky event. Just not enough anymore. When you've got people out there like Chris Murphy, like uh, Paul Nicholson, like Dan Dawson, who are anoraks of the game, they absolutely love it. When they're not working, they're focusing on darts. Yeah, and someone said about part. That, that's that my issue with JP. That, that's well. part of my issue with JP. That John Part, yes, he's got a great voice, but some of the lesser known players, when he commentates on them, makes himself a little bit stupid at times. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's that one. Um. Are any Red Dragon Championship streams? I uh, don't think so, but I will try and find out. Um, would you bring back the Asian World Series talk? I think the, the problem with the Asian thing is, is it didn't go well down particularly well broadcaster-wise, and the broadcasters pay the money. Yeah. The culture difference between what we see at Ali Pali or in Europe to Asia is really, really different. The way that they, they sit and they clap, they appreciate it. There's not really the singing, the chanting or anything like that. And that 
makes a big difference to the way that TV companies present their coverage. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the annual awards still is a thing anymore. Look, they might bring it back now that COVID's done, but I'm not sure. Uh, but if you can't grow the game in regions over three weeks, it needs to be worked on over uh, a whole year. Yeah, th- again, for me, that's where the sub tours need to be made more of and more opportunities for the people that are playing on the affiliated tours to get into other things, potentially like the Grand Slam. But you give each tour a one spot in the Grand Slam or something like that. Yeah. We must um, have eight more players again. I just. I also think that the criteria for Slam comes out way too late. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. Jim says, "Do any of you think that the Challenge Tour should be similar to the Pro Tour with one, two, eight, and use Q School?" to get on to that. Yeah, 100%, Jim. I've said it for a while that the Q School should be the route to the Challenge Tour and then you have promotion and relegation between the Challenge Tour and the Pro Tour. I'm I'm a massive fan of of that system. Um. Yeah, Tommy, the go back going to more countries that it all depends on so many variables like sponsorship, broadcasters, and everything like that. It's not just as simple as saying we're going to go to China, you have to have everything in place. Look, with, with the close tie ups that Matt Truman has obviously got out there. I think it's inevitable we will go back to the Middle East at some point. Philip um, says, where will women's darts head in the future in the PDC? Separate women's tour or men's versus women? Um, I think there's a long-term and a short-term answer for this. I think long-term, I genuinely believe it as a sport where men and women can compete against each other. But where the women's game's been neglected for that long, it needs nurturing. And it's probably 30 to 40 years behind the men's game, Gob. Um, In terms of the progression and development that we've seen from the sport, yeah, but at the same time, the development we've seen in the sport under the PDC has been quite rapid towards the back end. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's going to take that long to get up to that level if that's the ultimate aim. Because of modern technology, the way that people are more connected, there's more coaching, analysis, scoring systems, whatever. There's more communication about... um, events and whatever um, too so also as well i think it helps that like the, the jdc is mixed the dev tours mixed so from from those ages they're used to playing against each other but in, in the short term i think the ladies series women's series will continue to grow there will be other opportunities and i still think that 
this time next year, there will be a Women's World Championship at Ali Pali running alongside the men's. My only concern with that is the minute you move to a Women's World Championship in the PDC, the other one has to become a Men's World Championship. I don't think because then it will. goes straight back to the development tour conversation earlier about double chances and opportunities and backdoor entries and whatever else. And the minute you are catering for a group based on their gender, I think it's incredibly difficult to then allow them into an open category unless you go down the route of cycling, rugby, etc., which they have done due to trans performers rather than anything else. I think it'll be an open category and a women's category. I think that's how they'll categorise it. At that point, I think if you qualify for one, you shouldn't be allowed to qualify for the other. Got no issue with you attempting to play in one. If you're a female and want to play in the open, fine. But then I don't agree that you should then be allowed the opportunity to go and play in the Women's World Championship as well. Uh, I, especially, I, not if especially not if it's going to give you opportunities on the open on the open tour. Say becoming women's yeah. world champion gives you a tour card on the open tour, then you shouldn't be allowed to play open tour for two years. Go and be a women's world champion and keep your tour card that way. No. Yeah, no, I I I agree with that point. I think they should be allowed to play both, but like what like with the dev tour that the women's is separate, that it doesn't give you any extra advantages, that money wouldn't go on you, your order of merit if you had a tour card or anything like that. Yeah. I've, I've got no problem with them playing both, but it can't go on the main tour and things like that, order of merit. Um, well, Dubai World Series is a success. It was, but I believe the... I believe the promoter or the, the local promoter that was doing it um, went bust. Do you think we'll see uh, World Series events in South America region? I think I certainly think South America is on the PDC's hit list to go there. Potentially. The fact there's TV deals in place there and Brazil keep getting opportunities. I think they so. do, but they don't have the depth to then put on a World no. Series event. They don't have eight players that can go and compete. They barely have two players that can compete. I'm sure they can do whatever sports have done, but I'm sure they can find someone a Brazilian passport. I know he's in the chat room. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure Jim's got a long lost Brazilian cousin. Don't want to know what goes uh, on below his belt. <laughs> um, right, last few then before God gets all upset because. Oh, his side has just blown the title. Oh. How are you feeling right now, Gob? 
Brilliant. <laughs> um, if Boise texts me now, the second word will be off. Or if he pops up in the chat room, you mean? <laughs> Apparently, he doesn't get any internet at Old Trafford because about 40 years behind everywhere else, but you know. Um, oh, sorry, Rose has got an annoyed, annoyed husband as well. So it's all fine. <laughs> um, yeah, we are, we also had a bit of a, a planning meeting the other day. We've got some some good concepts for content coming up, don't we, Gob? Yes, I need to talk to you when we finish the show, actually. Cool. Um, but yeah, some, some good stuff coming up from us as well. <laughs> Which will be good. The live league returns tomorrow morning. Neil Duff leads the way. 9.30. Group A for session number two. Uh, then, like we said, we'll have reaction from New Zealand. And we will be at Champions of Champions as well. Glob will be streaming the women's series Hopefully, some of the other boys will be able to jump on as well. Fingers crossed. If not, I'll find a, a corner at the depot in Cardiff and jump on for a bit. We'll work it out. We'll, we'll work it out. So, plenty of content coming from our way. So, have we got any more questions before we wrap it up for the evening uh, any announcements about future live league players hang with us there is some big news coming for the live league I can't say too much but in the next few weeks there will be some big news about the live league dropping mahoosive news even Tommy, uh, Tommy, we're we're gonna we're gonna do some content around that. So hang fire. Oh, I like this one from Philip. Favorite darts tournament sponsor, past or present? Oh, so I've got two current favorites because we've got great working relationships with them both. Um, Boyles and Betfred. Arslick. You know, you know the drill. Um, fa favourite of all time, though. Oh. Yeah, Jim, the, the embassy was synonymous with, with Lakeside. It was called the embassy, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the, the embassy is, is right up there. Um, I think Skoda did the very first WDC event back when the split was going on. Golden Wonder. Ah, oh, what was, um, White and Mackay did the Premier League. That was always a good one. McCoy's. McCoy's got me up there because I love crisps. 
there, there, there were some good ones. Cash converters, yes. I'm a little bit biased in the fact that I think the Ali Pali stage looked better in red than anything else. So with that, I'm going to say Labbrook. Oh, I, I hated red. No, red. And... Um, yes, Phillips done it there. Burger King in New Zealand. No, no, no. The one that, I, in terms of marketing, you will struggle to find a better group than the Champions League of Dart sponsors. Paddy Power. Yeah. With the belt. No one else gave everybody a pair of giant green pants to take away. There is that. Yeah. Oh, some great ones there. Love that. Um, right, folks, we are going to wrap up today's show. It's been superb having you all along for the ride. Um, uh, Bob, just last one on that. We don't know is the honest answer. We are trying to find out, but it's like radio silence. Not even Henry knows. So we are working on that one. I mean, um, but every person that's qualified for the World Championship so far says lakeside in january in the release there's just no date and there's no confirmation yeah um but remember if you haven't yet make sure you follow us on all social media platforms uh facebook twitter instagram tiktok um and then if you haven't yet make sure you give us a thumbs up and subscribe uh, i've been phil bars jack garwood from us at online darts thank you very much for the last two hours it's been an absolute pleasure and we will see you all next week as Boise returns and he'll be happy for a change. It'll be a football show. That is us signing out.